This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Welcome everybody to the September edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It's presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. Glad to have you back Heather. You got over your COVID okay I see. Yes, I did, except for rather a sore throat for a couple of days. It wasn't too bad. It was my husband who brought it home and gave it to me, my daughter, and our granddaughter, who was visiting from Australia and had to spend half her holiday lying on the sofa watching TV. But it is lovely not having to wear masks anymore, isn't it? (laughs) Well, what a time it has been over the last weeks with the death of the Queen. She had been around for all my life, so it will be a bit strange without her. I can remember being in Omaru in the 1950s waiting for the royal procession to pass by when my young brother had a wee in the gutter. He was only four or five at the time. I did sit up till midnight watching the service at Westminster but recorded the rest to watch the next day. So what an amazing amount of organisation and the number of people that were involved in the processions. As it is said, the Brits certainly do pageantry well, don't they? Do you girls have any memories of waiting for the Queen and did you sit up and watch the service? Um, no, I don't, I don't have memories of waiting for the Queen. <laughs> I do remember um, when Charles and Diana visited many years ago, I was working in the city and, and I saw them. But yes, I sat up to watch the service because it was history in the making mm, mm. and I thought it was wonderful to see um, just good old... British culture out there so beautifully presented. Mm, Yeah, Yeah, they certainly know how to do it, don't they? Yes. It certainly went like clockwork. (laughs) It it did. Absolutely incredible. Except for the bit of paper. Did you see the bit of paper fall down Yeah, but did you see who picked it up? No, I didn't. No, they cut that out, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It just disappeared. Yes. (laughs) I do remember being out at the Westport Aerodrome. Uh, when the Queen came over, oh, and she and Prince Philip. This was must have been fifty-two or three. Fifty-three, or whatever fifty-three it was. I think. Cause fifty-three. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they flew from Nelson, oh, and yeah. the whole town must have been out there, all around the edges, mm. and we're all looking to the north, east, 
where Nelson was for the plane to come and, oh, yes, we can see it. Oh, no. Oh, yes, we can see it. And then finally she came and, of course, plenty of room for her to drive around in the car and all the kids and everything all ran around as well. Yes. And then she was back on the plane and down to Greymouth, I think. Yes. I I thought, gosh, all that. I wonder if um, King Charles would have... This big a funeral, <laughs> and will, will the enthusiasm be there? It's going to be interesting to see what happens now. Isn't yeah, it, it yeah, is. It is. Yes. Maybe yes. a good time for Scotland to do its own thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. don't know right. This isn't a political broadcast. No. <laughs> now some snippets from the papers. Dogs Against Drugs in Shetland recently invited the public to come and meet Bravo and Hera two newly qualified drug dogs that have recently made an appearance at Lewick Police Station. They will work with dogs Axel, Oscar and Thor. The Springer Spaniels started their training as puppies last year at the Police Scotland's dog section in Aberdeen. The dogs helped seize around £33,000 worth of drugs entering Shetland in June and July. Goodness That's a lot, isn't it? It's sad really, isn't it? It is. A prisoner-built hobbit house has provided fun for the bairns while helping to prepare inmates for life on the outside. The unusual playground attraction recently arrived at Scalloway Primary School in Shetland as part of the prison services community goodwill project. For many prisoners, this is the first time they have been given the opportunity to make something of their lives. The Bairns are delighted with the Hobbit House. It's a little different to the usual playhouses, and it's a popular super addition to the (laughs) playground. Mm, I'm sure it is. Mm. If you are in Orkney, would you be interested in forming a nature club or wildlife group with like-minded individuals to do nature recording in Stronsay? Or you might like to undertake your own project or take photographs of Stronzi's wildlife that could be included in a small booklet. The North Isles Landscape Partnership Scheme is offering equipment for small wildlife recording and monitoring projects undertaken by individuals or as part of an informal group culminating in the creation of a small booklet of Stronzi's wildlife records taken over the course of a year. What a great idea! They certainly have a lot of interesting things you can do on the islands. They always seem to be planning something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a lovely way to spend your time just camping out there and watching yeah, the watching wildlife. Yeah, watching the wildlife. Yeah, it'd be great. Mm. Yeah. On a nice day. <laughs> My husband's family came from that island. Mm. Mm. It's very small. Yeah. Is more support required in order to support the cultural community? Councillor John Ross Scott has serious concerns about the viability of all Orkney's festivals, which attract many visitors to the islands every year and are the lifeblood of the cultural community. He's previously called for money to be injected into the major festivals as a supporting mechanism at a time when incomes were reduced due to the pandemic. Councillor Scott's comments came during the proposed changes to the Education, Leisure and Housing Committee's Cultural Fund. Mm. Some of our cultural community could have a bit of cash injection too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think it's everywhere, yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. From the Shetland Times, February 2016. A fetler woman who emigrated to New Zealand three years ago has been featured in a New Zealand newspaper.
Here's Catherine Brown. And the newspaper's interest in her came about because of her skill with the knitting needles. The article tells how Mrs. Brown only learned fair isle knitting after her marriage and the birth of her two girls. She explains how some forms of knitting are dry, dying out, such as shawl knitting, which she says only has a few exponents left on the islands. But knitting, she confirms, is still one of the main industries in the islands, and she keeps the original fair isle designs she learned on graph paper. Mm. Well, I know that uh, knitting is still popular in Shetland, and they have their annual wool week, which has become very popular with people coming from all over the world to attend. My aunt Lily Taylor from Orkney, but lived in New Zealand, was a great knitter. I know she did knit a baby shawl that you could pull through a wedding ring, and that was one of the Shetland ones that you knit the shawl that was fine mm. enough that you could pull through a wedding wow. ring. I mean, that's fine. Mm. Um, I have a lovely little matinee jacket she knitted for my daughter, and my daughter never wore it because it was too nice, <laughs> and, and a fair old hat. But I'm afraid my hands don't allow for me to do much knitting these days. That mm. wee jacket would be beautifully mounted and framed. It would add. Good idea. Yeah. I might do that, actually. Cause, too um, nice to wear, but too lovely to have oh, hidden. It, it was a lovely little jacket, yeah. Mm. yeah. She was a beautiful knitter. She really was, yeah. From the Orcadian, September 1977, for 65 customers on the island of Flotta, yesterday was a red-letter day because, for the first time, the community will be connected to the mains electricity supply. Only a few weeks earlier, supplies began to be made available to Hoi, with 161 customers. Total cost of providing power for the two islands, part of the North of Scotland Hydro Board's continuing programme of providing electricity to remoter parts of the highlands and islands, is £1.25 million. Altogether, over some years, the board has spent £25 million pounds on this plan. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of money because it, you know, it was a year or two ago, but imagine not having electricity. Yes. Well, my granny managed. No, remember, no computer. <laughs> I remember after the earthquakes, I wanted to email my mm. friends in Japan to say I was okay and I couldn't, you Nothing. know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I couldn't phone because we never land long. Mm. 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 Another early snippet from the Orcadian, this time September 1952. The Queen Mother made an off-the-programme flight which took her over Orkney after she had visited Borrigal Castle, May, Caithness on Monday. The Queen Mother was accompanied by Princess Margaret and the flight lasted half an hour. It was when the Queen Mother was leaving Wick on board the Viking aircraft of the Queen's flight that she expressed a desire to see her recently acquired Caithness Castle from the air and also the old man of Hoy. Isn't it great to be able to yes. just, you know, get on the sail? I'd like to go there. <laughs> mm. I need to be somebody yes. here. The Shetland Distillery at Unst has been nominated at the Scottish Gin Awards. The Saxa Award Distillery has been shortlisted in the Gin Tourist Destination of the Year category. Almost 200 gins created by 56 producers have progressed to the sixth annual finals of the competition. To be named a finalist is a massive achievement, 
especially when the challenges of the last two and a half years and shows the true resilience and innovation of our industry. Winners will be announced on Thursday the 10th of November at Glasgow's Double Tree by Hilton Hotel. Yeah, I thought gin whiskey's more in line than the episode. Mm. Mm. Here are Caroline Smith's memories of the Queen's visit to mark the opening of Dunrossness Primary School in Shetland. Her memories beautifully illustrate the atmosphere in the school for the Bairns. It was in 1969, and Caroline was nine years old at the time. She said, I mind there being great excitement in the school before the Queen's visit, maybe as much with the teachers as the Bairns. We were asked to come in on Saturday mornings to practice a singing piece for the Royal Party. On the day, we all sang the Bresse lullaby and wore our best clothes. They were called your Sunday best then. I remember Ma'am bought me and my peri sister new flock frocks. Mine was gold with Lurick's thread running through it, and Kay's was a matching pink one. I also remember wondering what the Queen would make of our dialect singing. My sister was in the front row, and the Queen commented how beautiful her dress was. I also remember a lot of people gathering outside to catch a glimpse but not much else, really. It was certainly a special day. It would have been for a sister with a queen stopping and talking. Sorry. An injured short-eared owl got a lucky break when an experienced ornithologist came to its rescue. Mr Phil Harris saw the bird while out driving on Friday morning and realised it was injured. He stopped and picked it up, fearing it had a broken wing. He decided to take the bird home to check out its injuries and found it had torn its carpal muscle and blood from this had matted its feathers so it couldn't fully open one of its wings. Mr Harris cleaned it up and decided to let it rest and feed it to see if it would be able to fly again. The young owl enjoyed its diet of raw chicken minced beef and frozen mice, and was soon on the mend. On Sunday morning, the owl was flying around, and they released it just before dusk that evening. It flew off strongly before landing in the heather to preen. Short-eared owls were a very rare breeding bird, with just three pairs thought to have been in Shetland this year. Gosh, you would wonder how they can survive. Mm. Mm. Yes. It was a lucky owl. Mm. Yeah. Now, the, or, the origin of the name Orkney, as it comes to us today, is simply a corruption of the island's Old Norse, Orkney Yar. The name is generally taken to mean seal islands. The Norsemen's interpretation of the island's older name, however, the Ork element, predates the Norse interpretation by centuries. First mentioned by the Roman writer Diodorus Sic- oh, gee, my Latin's not too good. Diodorus Siculus in the first century BC. Diodorus referred to the islands as the Orchades, a name echoed by the Roman ge- geographer Pliny, who called them Orcades. Away from the classical scribes, 
The old Gaelic name for Orkney used by Irish historians was Inse Ork and simply meant Island of the Orcs. The Ork element, meaning young pig, is generally thought to refer to the wild boar. Thus we have the islands of the wild boar. This has led to the theory that at one time a predominant tribe in the islands, probably Pictish, had the boar as some form of tribal totem. It's interesting to note that the early Norwegian settlers in Orkney referred to the chambered cairn maize hair as Orkahauga, spelt O-R-K-A-H-A-U-G-R, which is an old Norse word, which could mean the how, meaning mound, of the orcs. However, it could equally derive from Orcus how, where Orcus was the name of a person. As mentioned before, when the Norsemen settled in Orkney, they interpreted the ancient orc element as orcan, their word for seal. The added ejar, meaning islands, and the islands became known as Orkneyjar, the seal islands. The name was finally shortened by later Scots speakers, who dropped the last syllable of the Norse word leaving Orkney. Mm. Yeah, sorry about all those um, awful names to pronounce there, girls. <laughs> but yes. I wonder how Shetland got its name. I will have to look into that, and I hope it's a lot easier to <laughs> interpret than that. Me too. <laughs> mm. Right, the seaweed sheep. This was written by Kirsten Henton on the 13th of July, of July 2022. Orkney's northernmost island, North Ronaldsea, is home to a rare and ancient breed of hardy beasts that have adapted to thrive on a seaweed diet. North Ronaldsea sheep are one of the oldest and rarest breeds in the world. They are descended from a traditional Orkney sheep, a species of northern European short-tailed sheep that were seen across the Orkney Islands for centuries. However, in most places, the small, slow-growing sheep eventually made way for breeds better suited to large-scale commercial farming, such as Cheviots and Leicesters. But not on North Ronaldsea. Here, the local farmers' deep attachment to the animals and unconventional approach to tending them ensured the island's traditional sheep were retained and they remain intertwined with the island's identity today. In a bid to conserve the valuable grass for more profitable cows, sheep were excluded from inland grazing in 1832 by a 13-mile-long dry stone wall known as the Sheep Dyke that was laboriously hand-built to encircle the entire island. The sheep, confined to the shore and cut off from the rest of the island, quickly adapted to a diet of kelp. Their isolation has also meant that their genetics remain virtually unchanged from those of their ancestors. When DNA tests were carried out on sheep bones found at the Iron Age Brock on South Ronaldsea, it showed that those grazing today were genetically identical to the sheep that had grazed thousands of years previously, even if their diet has changed somewhat. Gosh, isn't that amazing? It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. What's more, the island's sheep live longer than most commercial sheep breeds, which are bred to get big quickly. North Ronaldsea sheep 
are naturally small and slow growing, so it takes them around four years to reach their peak size and weight, making the meat mutton, not lamb, when it reaches the plate. This ageing, combined with a seaweed diet, gives these nimble-footed beasts a distinctive flavour. The meat is very lean and rich, and it does have a different taste to Scottish lamb. People describe it as gamey. If it's cooked the right way, traditionally you'd roast it all day, five hours in the oven, slow-roasted mutton is absolutely delicious. Although you don't taste the seaweed or coastal herbs in the meat, they give it a unique salinity and a very concentrated flavour. Mmm, be interesting to have a try, wouldn't mm. it? <laughs> Doubt whether we'll ever manage that. Mm. Now, healthy peatlands store carbon, but when vegetation is eroded, the peat is exposed to the elements and it releases carbon, contributing to climate change. Globally, peatlands cover only 3% of our planet's land, but store twice as much carbon as all the world's forests combined. Approximately half of Shetland is covered in peat, which makes it a significant potential carbon store. Unfortunately, it is estimated by Nature Scott that 70% of peatland in Shetland is eroded and therefore emitting carbon. Shetland Amenity Trust has been working with local landowners for over eight years to deliver over 400 hectares of peatland restoration. This has been done with funding support from the Scottish Government Pentland Action Programme and estimated to have contributed over £1.4 million to the local economy to date. Demand for peatland restoration projects is growing with two projects currently underway and two more in the pipeline, four more potential projects being scoped at present. Restoring peatland is achieved through a variety of techniques, all aimed at restoring the hydrology of the bogs, which allows vegetation a chance to re-establish and reduce the risk of erosion. This is usually achieved by using machinery to reprofile peat bogs, covering bare peat and turf, blocking gullies and ditches to create pools. Some work is carried out by hand, for instance transplanting sphagnum moss and other bog vegetation to re-wetted areas. This is a skilled job and Shetland will need many more trained machine operators to help support demand for future projects. Mm. Bare peat can also be covered with geotextiles to prevent exposure to erosion by the elements and to encourage regrowth vegetation. Various geotextiles have been trialled, including using waste salmon smolt nets, and now trials are underway using sheep's wool, which is full of peat and seed already, and has real potential to help stabilise peat and encourage new vegetation. Yeah, spent a day on the peat hill with my cousin in Orkney and we are talking about it and he said, oh, you know, it'll take about 22,000 years for the peat, what they've dug out to be replaced, you know. Wow. So, yeah. But we have to stop using peat in our gardens and there are other things you can use like coconut fibre. Mm-hmm. Well, as a tribute to the late Queen, we are ending our programme this month with, a, with the piece Amazing Grace, played by the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards. 
I know the Queen had a soft spot for Scotland, spending much time at Balmoral, and she did enjoy the bagpipes. She did visit both Orkney and Shetland at odd times. I find it hard to believe three years have passed since I was last in Orkney. Will I make it back there again? I don't know, as a lot of things have happened in those three years. I'm three years older for one thing, and sitting in a plane for 22 hours is not a pleasant thought. But one never knows. But do keep safe and cheerio for now. Bye for now. See you next month. <laughs>